Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Jordan Rodriguez will join us on all things NFL. Final preseason games tomorrow night. Big cut day awaits on Saturday afternoon. Ian Eagle is a tennis guru and a college basketball guy and an NFL guy. He joins us in about 30 minutes. We'll get into some U.S. Open and some football. And joining us now, as promised, I'm pretty sure Roddy Jones was personally responsible for making sure that, A, the ACC Network launched properly last Thursday. B, the ACC Network has, I think it's five straight over three days, ACC football games exclusively on the ACC Network. And let's just give them credit for making sure that ACC teams are in other spotlights all weekend long, from Louisville hosting Notre Dame on Labor Day evening to Florida State against Boise State in Jacksonville on Saturday night. That's also an ESPN game. Duke, Alabama, UNC, South Carolina. We haven't made him commissioner just yet, but welcome back, Roddy. How are you? PG, I appreciate it. And uh, even though I did not have a hand in any of it, <laughs> I will I will accept responsibility for all of it. So you're, you're all welcome. <laughs> Is that how it worked when you played at Georgia Tech? <laughs> I have a feeling co- like coaches were not quite as understanding as a, a sports radio host can be. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fun follow on Twitter, at Roddy Jones 20. We all believe that we know who's going to win some of these games. You know, Clemson over Georgia Tech. I think most would be surprised if, you know, ECU shocked NC State, for example, in a game that I think you have with West Durham and Eric Wood uh, on Saturday afternoon. Who has the most at risk in your eyes this weekend? Is it like a Willie Taggart at Florida State against a Boise State? Uh, or is it somebody else as you look at uh, a schedule that even includes three ACC versus ACC games, which we don't see very often in week one? We don't, but this is the excitement of, of the network launching. This is the excitement of what we've come to in college football. And with the ACC network launching, there is a demand for conference games early in the schedule. So you get some great matchups early. I mean, Virginia going to Pitt in a huge game uh, that's going to have ramifications throughout the season in the Coastal Division. And, and uh, it, it's, it's kind of a, a, a – it'll be a great story if Virginia is able to, to win the Coastal Division because, in my opinion, if they're able to do it, they will have had to – they will have had to beat Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. They haven't beat Pittsburgh at Heinz Field at all. Pittsburgh's 4-0 at Heinz Field, and Bronco Mendenhall hasn't beat Pittsburgh either. So they've got to beat Pittsburgh at the beginning of the year, and then they've got to beat Virginia Tech at the end of the year. Uh, which they haven't done in 15 years. So so it's kind of a, a very poetic season for Virginia if they're able to win the Coastal, and especially if they're able to start exercising those demons that they have at Pitt and, at, and, and against Virginia Tech. So that one's a huge one to me. Um, I look at the Virginia Tech-Boston College game as a huge one because of the, the, the conference ramifications as well, uh, because Boston College has the type of offense at least the pieces on offense returning that, that if you want to flirt with Boston College getting above that seven-win mark, this feels like a good year to start doing it. And, and Steve Adazio feels really good about that, uh, about that team. But if you get outside of the conference, uh, I, look at, I look at two games. You know, there's a lot of talk being, coming around the, the, uh, the Syracuse game going to Liberty because Liberty can score the football. That one doesn't scare me a whole lot. I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think Syracuse is going to be able to win that pretty handily. Uh, I look at Wake uh, hosting Utah State, and then I look at Florida State against Boise State, yeah. the two games where you've got the most to lose. I think Wake has a chance if they get past Utah State, they get Rice, 
North Carolina, Elon at BC, Louisville, Florida State before they get NC State at Virginia Tech and Clemson. I think Wake has a chance if they get through Utah State to be 4-0 going into Boston College. That game's in Chestnut Hill, but if you get past that, you've got a bye week before you play Louisville and Florida State. So you can legitimately be looking up in week nine and have a Wake team that's 7-0 and going into NC State. And, and can you imagine? I mean, that, that, that NC State game will be a toss-up game. Uh, then you're at Virginia Tech, which who knows what we'll get out of Virginia Tech. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility. If you want to dream and you're a, if you're a Wake fan, you could be 9-0 and going to Clemson uh, in, in the middle of November. So, so I think Wake is the team that if they win this Utah State game, they can be propelled on. Uh, and then Florida State uh, with, with uh, Boise State to start the year and then at Virginia in week three, you can't lose both of those games. You have to go one and one of those. And if you lose this game to Boise State, you're going up to Virginia in, in, against a really good Virginia team, and that could, that could be a really, really tough game. Uh, in a muscling situation. Roddy Jones is joining us. Back in the day, he was the team captain and an outstanding running back at Georgia Tech. Nowadays, an analyst on college football for ESPN and the brand-new ACC Network. On Twitter, he is at Roddy Jones 22 Jordan Love, the Utah State quarterback, is the source of a creative promotion by that school. My wife makes fun of me, Roddy, because long ago I started putting my home address on these various media lists. So if I vote in this award or that award, weird stuff shows up at the house and Maria is like, what is this now? Like she's used to it being a little notebook with a cute little picture or a catchphrase or a bumper sticker. There were mints delivered to my house by Utah State supporting apparently the best offensive player in the Mountain West Conference, quarterback Jordan Love, who is visiting Wake Forest this Friday night on the ACC Network. Did you get the Jordan Love heart-shaped mints? Uh, how did they taste? And what else do you know about these teams? I, I don't follow the Mountain West closely enough, but Utah State and Boise State, opponents of Wake and FSU, are supposedly the two best teams in that league. So you, that just kind of underlines what you said earlier. Yeah, and, and, and so, so the, the funny thing about it is neither one of those teams even won the league last year. Right. Fresno State did. They beat Boise State in overtime. So, so I think Fresno will, will sit there and say, hey, look, you know, we're, we're the champs. We got the belt. Um, but these other two have, have a lot of hype around them. I did get the mints. I did not paste them. Those, those sort of like heart-shaped, chalky, like Valentine's Day yeah. candies, that, it's not my bag, man. I'm, just, I'm avoiding them. Uh, and, and the other thing I'll say is uh, UCF did this with Mackenzie Milton sending out, out and they yeah. sent out Lays, which was actually pretty cool. Like, I thought that was a good idea. This one's just kind of I – mean, it's fine. Uh, thanks, for the, thanks for the notebook and the mints, I guess. But – but uh, but I would prefer I'd prefer something a little a little more uh, a little more unique to like Utah or something like that. But I, I, but I don't know. So I respect the heart shaped mints given the Jordan yeah. Love last name. I don't think I, I like got that. the. Did you say the, the Hawaiian style lay? Is that what the other promotional thing was? Is that yeah. what? You... So so Mackenzie Milton. I don't know if it was last year or two years okay. ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. McKinsey yeah. Milton. Had the uh, had the lays That's a couple a years ago yeah. that yeah. that that they came out with because of the fact that he's from Hawaii and 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 they did the one zero uh, with with uh, Ohana you know How could I forget family that? so yeah. so yeah it was it was pretty cool but but in terms of those two teams I mean they're really good teams you look at Utah State and Jordan Love is a headliner uh, but they've got some stuff to figure out they only returned two starters on offense mm. from a year ago Jordan Love and one offensive lineman 
So they're trying to figure out who's around Jordan Love. Now, if you, if you are, are have followed them at all or watched them at all, Jordan Love did a lot for that offense. I mean, he, he could very well be the third quarterback off the board come this year's NFL draft after Tua Tungo-Vailoa and Justin Herbert. So, so you're talking about a really good player. Uh, but they also lose their head coach. I mean, Matt Wells goes from Utah State to Texas Tech. Gary Anderson comes in, who had previously been at Utah State. So, so uh, you know, we like to talk about Utah State as being, uh, you know, the team from a year ago, and they were a really good football team. But that was a, it's a football team that's going through a lot of transition. So, so I like Wake Forest in the, in the game. The Boise situation scares me a little bit more. Obviously, Brian Harson has been there for a number of years now, and he's, he's continued the culture that, that, that has been set for years and years and years. This is a football team that's built itself and its reputation off of rising to the occasion. You know, put the ball down wherever, we'll play you. That's kind of the mentality they've had. Uh, they've got to replace a great quarterback in Brett Ripien. They've got a really good freshman quarterback that's going to start for them uh, in Brady Hockmeyer. So, so they have some talent. They've got everybody coming back on the offensive line. They've got a lot coming back on defense. I think there's, there's got some real talent on that defensive front. So Florida State's offensive line issues from a year ago will be t- tested and challenged in that Boise State game because they're going to bring some talent on the defensive front, and you know they're going to play hard. So if there's any sense that Florida State is not interested, uh, Boise is going to come and hit you in the mouth. So Flor- Florida State better bring their A game. I don't know if you caught this on social media after Florida beat Miami last week, but there was a little bit of an, I don't know if uproar is too strong of a word, after Miami's offensive coordinator, Dan Enos, meets with the media after the Gators won that kind of ugly, low-scoring game against the Canes, and he's asked about his redshirt freshman quarterback, Jaron Williams, and he both complimented him and criticized him publicly. Like, you played at Georgia Tech. I could picture Paul Johnson or somebody else behind closed doors blistering a guy for something he didn't want to see. Most coaches don't share all of that publicly, and apparently Dan Enos did. I never played at a high enough level to to sort of deal with these dynamics in my sport of baseball. I had the tougher coach who was in your face and would call you out in front of your teammates for this or that. Um, but but this is a different level, and apparently some people thought the Dan Enos of Miami went too far. Uh, what is your bottom line with stuff like that? Can a, Should a coach keep all of it or almost all of it sort of behind the curtain, or at the college level do you become fair game for more blunt and honest answers because, you know, we're all asking coaches for, for more candor and less uh, coach speak? I've got no problem with what Dan Enos did. Uh, he, he probably shared more than a typical coach does, you know, calling out individual things like five of the 10 sacks were on Jared yes. Williams. That's yes. something that we don't typically see uh, from a coach. But but it, as long as he's telling Jaron that in the meeting room, I don't care what he says to the media. As long as it's not different, if the message is consistent, right. however it's delivered, deliver it. And And I actually enjoy it. I mean, after that game, we looked at it. I think most people looked at it and said, man, you were sacked sacked 10 times and you didn't turn the ball over at all. Uh, Completion percentage was pretty decent. You threw for a touchdown. Uh, You had a chance to throw for another one if a guy hangs on to it. Man, Jaron Williams is the man. And the offensive line is terrible. And that's just not true in football. Football is such a complicated game 
that we uh, and we have to oversimplify it when we talk about it. But but sometimes you lose some things, and and so I have no problem with Dan Eno saying, "Hey, look, Jaron's got to be better." Yeah. Because I, and I think that I think the best statement that he made in that in his press conference was, "We have a standard." of what it is to play quarterback at the University of Miami. And I'm going to hold Jaron to that standard no matter what people are outside saying. So so when you have the world patting your quarterback on the back in a loss, putting all the blame on the offensive line, I think to publicly come out and say that, not only does it give some – I mean, think about how those offensive line feel hearing that. Like, oh, my goodness, thank gosh, somebody, one of the coaches is standing up for us. You know, th- think about what, what he was saying and how the, how the running backs will feel. When they hear like, "Hey, now, now the world knows that there were a couple of those that may have been on you guys," you know, this, yeah. a situation where a running back is supposed to get out in the flat in a pass route, in man to man, and the linebacker is going to come with them. That's a guy that can no longer rush. But if that running back hangs around, it can cue a linebacker to trigger it. And that's a person that you don't have accounted for in your protection, which can lead to a sack that looks like it's the offensive line, but it's really the running back because he didn't run a route. So, so it is more than just the, the offensive line. It, it's on your quarterback sometimes. It's on your running back sometimes. I got no problem with it at all. The people that are upset about it, man, come on. He's playing yeah. quarterback at the University of Miami, a pro sports town. He's going to be treated like a pro sports town. If you can't handle being criticized a little bit, it wasn't even like a lot of criticism. It was just really telling the truth. You can't handle that in the media. You need to go play quarterback somewhere else. And for those who didn't see it, I also liked that, whereas, as Roddy said, Danny Enos spoke more candidly, more publicly than you see 90-plus percent of the time. When people were sending me, like, the worst quotes, you know, Jaron blew this and Jaron missed that and Jaron was responsible for half of the – I looked up all of the quotes. And when you look up all of Danny Enos's quotes, and this is where my bottom line is similar to Roddy's, he both complimented – five different things that Jaron did while criticizing those other things. And he painted the big picture. He's like, man, I got a redshirt freshman away from home against the number eight team in the nation with some NFL talent on defense, you know, being handed the keys to the UM machine. That's tricky circumstances. So those who overreacted the most, I think, failed to include, you know, the rest of that diatribe uh, that Dan Enos mentioned on his and, uh, and his young quarterback. That- yeah. That's what that's what coaching is. Yeah. That's what we want yes. out of our coaches. You want you want the compliments, but you want the criticism as well, so that you can get better. So I had no problem with it. It was actually it was refreshing. I loved it, and, and I would encourage anybody throughout college football season, and and really throughout like any any time you hear a soundbite, look up the press conference, hear the full thing, get the context, look up the the the, the notes of what was said, look up the full transcript. Get the context because it's completely different when you put it in context. Well done. I'm looking forward to these games, man. I saw a number. Only six ACC schools are starting the same quarterback who started the majority of the games last year. And Roddy circled Virginia Tech, BC, and UVA Pitt. Guess what? Those four all fit that description because you've got Ryan Willis of Tech against Anthony Brown of BC. You've got Bryce Perkins of UVA against Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh. So those are four of the six. Once again, starting a guy that we've seen uh, start a lot of games in the past. Man, it is a great stretch for the ACC network and for the ACC as a football league. Roddy, thank you for your time. As always, you know we'll be harassing you all season long like the running back that you are. We're a charging outside linebacker at your legendary running back all year long. 
Well, you you guys you guys don't hurt nearly as much. Alive, <laughs> uh, so, so feel free, man. I love coming on. Thank you very much, Roddy Jones. He's a lot of fun on Twitter at Roddy Jones Twenty. He is outstanding on ESPN and the ACC Network as well. Remember, uh, five of the games that we touched upon: Georgia Tech, Clemson tomorrow, Utah State at Wake Friday. ECU, NC State were there with the tailgate tour. Virginia Tech, BC, UVA, Pitt. All five of those are exclusively on the network Roddy works for. That would be the ACC network. And I was right. Roddy is here with friend of the program, Wes Durham, and Eric Wood on the sidelines at, at our game. Can we allowed to call it our game? It's our, our game. Our yeah. game. Yeah. First game of the 2019 big tailgate tour, man. It is. Roddy even said he's going to try and stop by. Excellent. When we're at Backyard I mean, there's a lot at stake. I mean, what, what's more at stake, Darren? What's the biggest thing on the line anywhere in college football in week one besides if you don't win tailgate of the week, you can't win tailgate of the year, right? Like, think of all the candidates. Now, we do go to state three times this year. I was going to say, however, ample opportunity for Wolfpack fans. However, you, you get a shot at many schools, two shots at some schools at state again will be there three times. But you can't win the mega thousand dollar you have a flag flying over your tailgate for all of eternity. There are only five of them in history. We've actually fallen in love with all five of those tailgates and people across the great state of North Carolina. What do we have represented in the past five years? Last year, we had App State, an App State representative. Right, Judd Huffman and the Alray Cool Bus, that entire crew. Very well done. And when he says the Cool Bus, man, it's not just a tailgate. I mean, it's not just like something's on the grill and, you know, there's a band playing or, you know, over, over the speakers. I mean, we had the actual App State band <laughs> in front of a converted <laughs> bus that's painted in App State colors and more food than you can have in your wildest Did they play dreams Blues at Brothers? your fingertips. Did they play Blues Brothers? I can't remember. That's, all, that's what I heard. Anyways, yeah, maybe. as 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 we, we some, were welcomed to their tailgate, I kind of ripped my shirt off and did crazy <laughs> things that day. I can't remember. It, it, it's all a blur after all these years of the tailgate tour. So we have our good friends at Corner Crew, right? ECU. I mean, they're practically part of the Glenn family, especially with Anthony, a student in Greenville. Uh, they they have one of the five flags. Steve Young, and the Upper Deckers at NC State. Of course, they are an all timer. Uh, we have our good friend Charles Epps and the Eagle Alley tailgate at North Carolina Central Unforgettable University. setup. Those guys are fantastic. So those would be four. And, you know, I just can't remember the fifth one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the Elon 7 a.m. tailgate. Those guys are as good as any group of people that we have ever met in the 20-year history of the David Glenn Show. We, we love them. Uh, I'm coming back out there soon. I might be in Burlington this Friday. Congratulations and shout out to the Burlington Royals of the Appalachian League. You're a baseball guy. I'm I'm very specifically an Appy League guy. Oh, you are. I, I grew up with the Appy League okay. everywhere around the, me. The Burlington Royals would be what they call advanced rookie league. Yes. Right. So they've been they were with Cleveland. I remember when I was young. They've been a Ro- Kansas City Royals farm club for more than a decade at this point. Hence Burlington Royals. Duh. Uh, they are actually in the postseason for the first time in a few years. They are hosting the Pulaski Yankees from I, the New York Yankees organization <laughs> this Friday, 6.30, at Burlington Athletic Stadium. Uh, it's game one of a three-game set. They have asked me to throw out the ceremonial first pitch. Are you going to? 
Avery has a commitment and Maria has a commitment. <laughs> and I have to decide if I'm going to let the Royals down or let my family down. So since I've mentioned it on the air, clearly, <laughs> clearly I'm going to be turning my back on my blood relatives to represent the postseason-bound Burlington <laughs> Royals of the Appalachian League on Friday night. You want to join me? Are you, you busy Friday night? I, uh, I could potentially join you. We could talk. This is probably better served Maybe. off the air. <laughs> Maybe. Well, you know, I, I am the only doc- documented example that I am aware of that in a ceremonial first pitch, as a guy who was a junk-balling left-hander pitcher for more than 20 years, threw a curveball on the ceremonial first pitch. Uh, to my knowledge, nobody else has ever done that. You just feel better it's, about it, the location? It takes guts. <laughs> I don't care if there's 3,000 watching or 100,000 watching. It takes guts to throw from the actual mound. I'm not one of those who gets up there on the grass for the ceremonial first pitch. No, that, that's not acceptable, Darren, especially for people like us who played baseball. I get on the mound. Sometimes they put a jersey on you, and, you know, that can throw you out of whack. You certainly don't want to bounce it if you played baseball for 20 years. You don't want to hit the mascot. I mean, Nuke Lelouch did that only for very specific purposes to scare the batters. Crash Davis didn't want those guys digging in, right? So, Nuke, right? hit, hit That's the mascot, hit the man. Trust me. Hit the bull. Trust me. Just, just hit the bull. <laughs> you don't want to hit the mascot. You don't want to hit the backstop. You don't want to bounce it. I don't know. I don't. I might not have a curveball in me this time. I'm getting a little. I'm getting a little older. My command is not, not what it once was, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I congratulate the Royals. Our minor league system in North Carolina is always filled with postseason teams, and I've had a great relationship with the Burlington Royals. They are one of the. I think I've been to a dozen minor league stadiums here in North Carolina. Uh, you're a baseball guy. You got to be getting close to that. Plus the USA baseball facility where you often work, right? Coleman field at the national training complex in Cary Durham bulls athletic park is state of the art. Fantastic. Uh, the night stadium in Charlotte down or uptown as they call it is wonderful. I've been Kinston Indians, Fayetteville, Greensboro, grasshoppers, Winston Salem dash Asheville tourists. The Kinston um, Indians are now the Down East Wood that's Ducks. That's right. The, the, I, I don't of, think I've been recent, to the Down East yet, but I, I have not the old caught Kinston Indians a Down East to. game either, actually. I think I'm into double digits at this point. I probably left somebody out there. But, uh, yeah, that's far and wide, right? Oh, yeah. Asheville way out west, yeah, among tourists. other stops, and uh, Kinston and other places to our east. Uh, worth your trip. I'll grab a hot dog, a beer, and in this case, maybe I'll throw out the ceremonial first pitch. Speaking of... Guests, Ian Eagle joins us on tennis and football later this hour. Jordan Rodrigue on all things NFL and Carolina Panthers. We have folks who want in on the questions of the day for the Panthers. What are you watching most as they cut from 90 to 53 over these next four days? And for college football fans, what are you looking forward to most in week one as the college gridiron basically fills the NFL vacuum with games tomorrow night all the way through Labor Day Monday night with a heavy state of North Carolina and a heavy ACC flavor. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us on the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show.
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We've got a lot of good answers to our NFL question of the day earlier this week. When we asked which NFL team have you upgraded the most or downgraded the most during preseason camp? I picked the Chargers because I was feeling good about Phillip Rivers' supporting cast about a month or so ago. Then star young safety Derwin James of Florida State is knocked out maybe for the season with his injury. And Melvin Gordon is still not in camp as the star running back continues his holdout. So, yeah, my view changed a lot over the last 30-plus days. Our next guest has Kansas City against Jacksonville for week one of the NFL regular season for CBS. We catch him on March Madness calls during college basketball seasons with the Yes Network on the Brooklyn Nets of the NBA. He is their voice. Catch him on the Tennis Channel as well. The U.S. Open continues with many of the greatest of all time among the high seeds. Ian Eagle, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Hey, DG. Great to talk to you, bud. Thanks, man. I'm going to get to some tennis, but I would love your answer to that question. Which NFL team have you upgraded or downgraded most during preseason camp? You know, injuries, holdouts, and weird stuff can uh, change things dramatically for some of these coaches who secretly are just hoping that nobody gets hurt and nobody (laughs) holds out. I was high on this team before preseason began and I'm actually higher on them now I think they have the look of a potential Super Bowl champion and would not shock me if they're holding up the trophy when the smoke clears and that's New Orleans heartbreaking losses back-to-back years as we know Uh, these are gut punches that most franchises would not be able to bounce back from but you look at their talent level you look at the timing with Drew Brees the fact that Taysom Hill to me will be a part of this and be a weapon and maybe the heir apparent they're set at the skill positions. They have dynamic playmakers. They've improved at the tight end position. Their defense has steadily gotten better each of the last two years. They've really addressed their concerns on that side of the ball. They have leadership. They've got youth. They've got an outstanding secondary. To me, they are the most complete team in the NFL right now, and I would say the odds on favorite to win the whole thing. Man, that is not an answer that Panthers fans in our state want to hear, but I can't argue against the prominence of the New Orleans Saints or the expertise of the bird half of the beard and the bird. (laughs) Dan Fouts is the beard. Our guest, Ian Eagle, is the bird. Um, I always turn you into a television executive or a commissioner, often against your will, and I don't apologize for that because you're so smart that I just love to pick your brain on these things. We're reading about collective bargaining negotiations we're reading about the owners wanting either a longer regular season or more playoff teams meaning more playoff games uh, in exchange for among other things a shorter preseason now it feels like everybody on earth owners players fans media want fewer preseason games but not every player wants more regular season games in this violent sport where do you think all that is going to go are we still going to be stuck discussing what ifs, you know, as we get a lot closer to that CBA type deadline. I would say having done preseason games the last 20 years that we're now at a point where the problem is more apparent and more evident than ever before. There might have been rumblings of this seven years ago, nine years ago, but at the time the product was still pretty good. And they were getting people in the stadiums, and 
ultimately you saw more of the starters over the course of the preseason. Now coaches have grown more nervous, and rightfully so, that they don't want to put their stars in harm's way. They don't want to show anything to opponents, so they're not giving you anything of actual substance in these preseason games. What I've noticed is less fans are showing up. It used to be, hey, I paid for it anyway, I'll just go. Now people are just accepting, yeah, I paid for it, but it's a lost leader. I accept that I don't really want to go to the preseason, but I want to be a part of the regular season. It's broken. It's not working. They do have to address it. I think behind the scenes the NFL is trying to figure out the next best step, although publicly they have never acknowledged that they have to make some sweeping changes. I don't think the players want 18 games. No. I don't know if they'll ever go for it for the regular season. Here's the bottom line. It's 10 home dates, eight regular season, two preseason. And that's what they're charging fans, 10 home dates. How can you still maintain those numbers Mm. and make changes that will improve the preseason and the optic for the NFL? One way, two preseason games, so one home date. So now you're just down one. And maybe – you figure out a way to use these joint practices as a means in which to sell tickets to fans and present a television show, maybe not a preseason game, but a television show for the networks to run, that there could be interest around the local parts. The joint practices is really where it's going, that the direction that coaches, to me, are leaning towards because they get more out of it. And maybe there's a way to monetize that. It's got to be better than what we're seeing now over the last five years in preseason because it's not working. The biggest jolt of the NFL preseason came Sunday when Andrew Luck shockingly retired. And you're a fan and a broadcaster in a lot of sports. You won't be surprised that we got uh, phone calls about memories of, you know, Jim Brown before I was born in his sure. prime retiring at, at, you know, as a nine-time pro bowler in nine seasons. It's a guy some still call the best player in NFL history. You know, he he walks out on the Cleveland Browns and says, I'm just done. And in his case, he never came back. But, you know, Michael Jordan's first retirement in 93, mm-hmm. Magic Johnson after the HIV diagnosis. You're a tennis guy. Bjorn Borg was incredibly young. Uh, Sandy Koufax yep. of baseball. We got all these examples what was your reaction to both Andrew Luck's shocking announcement and I don't know what percentage of people criticized him but but there was enough negativity that Andrew Luck said for example that he was hurt when he heard even Colts fans like booing him as he ran off the floor after they read the news on their smartphones yeah I I think it's twofold let's take the second part first Look, we live in a world where people form very strong opinions without having all the information. It's just how we live. We read headlines, we read a tweet, and now we get angry or we show joy based on just a very brief thumbnail sketch on what's really happening. Then you dig deeper, and all of a sudden there's context, and maybe your opinion shift a bit. Certainly in the mentality that fans that go to a live sporting event feel their strength in numbers. So if some people boo, you join in. You don't even know what you're booing about sometimes. (laughs) It just feels right. People around you are, are doing it. I think, unfortunately, that was just a really terrible set of circumstances that 
somebody decided to leak, and it put Andrew Luck in a very awkward position. We have no idea what the conversations were the week leading up to that stunning announcement. We have no idea what the conversations were three months leading up to that stunning announcement. We don't know if the Colts felt that Luck took advantage. We don't know if Luck feels like the Colts took advantage. Uh, There's so much there. I don't know if we're ever going to know. Maybe maybe we'll get some clarity at some point. Here's the one thing that strikes me, having met with him many times, always impressed by his intellect, always impressed by his thoughtfulness. If you asked him a question in these production meetings, he didn't just spew out the cliche riddled answers you grow accustomed to. He actually thought about the question Mm -hmm. and answered it in an honest way, at least as honest as he could be. And I will say, uh, he didn't strike me as someone that was defined by being an NFL player. So true. There's more to him. And we shouldn't look at that as a negative. He's just different than some other guys that get to the NFL, and that's all they ever thought of. They're consumed by it, as much money as they can make, as many years, as many Pro Bowls, as many accolades, the Hall of Fame, all those things drive them. That may not have driven Andrew Luck throughout his career. And I can't then react negatively because that doesn't fit into what I think an NFL player should be. That, that would be my issue with how people uh, instantly reacted to that situation. The first part, yeah, I was doing a game. As it happened, it was uh, the Jets and the Saints preseason broadcast, and it was happening in real time. And it was stunning yeah. because, David, you know, we, we live in the information age. It's right. rare that you're shocked anymore by anything. True. You heard something. There were rumors. There was speculation. None of that. This just came out of left field for the general public. So similar to you, I was not around or too young for the Jim Brown announcement or Gail Sayers, uh, obviously, Michael Jordan, a little different, but he came back. Uh, Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders, yeah. Sandy Koufax, those are the names that popped up. I'll remember this one. Uh, there's no doubt hmm. because there, there was this seismic reaction when it happened. And I, I think when people are that surprised, that's when you get myriad of reactions, a lot positive for what he did. And as you said, there were a whole lot of negative responses for the way uh, it was handled and for what they believed was – a lack of commitment on his part. I don't buy that. One more thing for Ian Eagle, who also does work with the Tennis Channel, beyond all of his great stuff on football and basketball and other things. I'm just celebrating the U.S. Open because I believe we, of course, have the greatest women's player of all time in Serena playing again, mm-hmm. seeking that number 24 Grand Slam singles title. Uh, we have arguably the three greatest men's players of all time as the top three seeds in Djokovic and Nadal and Federer. My question to you is a little bit of a behind-the-scenes one because, you know, like Tiger Woods is famously private, and when swing coach Hank Haney or somebody else writes a book or his former caddy talks too much about Tiger, you know, next thing you know, Tiger has cut those relationships off. I know this example is different. But when Serena Williams beat Maria Sharapova earlier this week, a lot of folks don't realize Sharapova is a former world number one. She has five Grand Slam singles titles. She's done more than most people think on the court while also being, you know, mega successful financially. Serena said all the right things after absolutely dismantling Maria Sharapova. But 
Her husband is wearing like a dare shirt that looked like a shot at Maria Sharapova's drug-related suspension. And I remember years ago, Serena really complaining that Maria Sharapova included too much about Serena in Sharapova's book. Like she told the story of a win and seeing Serena cry and all this stuff. What's the bottom line there as Serena was saying the right things? What was the real story? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, I don't I don't have next level insight into it. Just uh, what I know from being around it a little bit. Look, this is an individual sport, and when it's an individual sport, there's a lot going on above the neck. Yeah, there's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of opinions formed, and usually they're bouncing around the individual's head, and they don't necessarily share them. They don't play on a team. Their teammates are people that they hire trainers, physios, hitting partners, coaches. So they're in complete control. The tennis player controls their world. If they don't like what's going on, they let the person go. It's not the other way around. They don't have a manager that tells them that they're not going to get as much playing time. So the world revolves around them. I think there's a certain decorum about being on the tour, and when you break that, that's when things go haywire. Serena thought Maria broke that trust, whatever that might be, and did it for her own financial gain and to create buzz for her book. And that never goes away. You know, they might be fine, it might be cordial, but it doesn't go away. And clearly there was more subtext there. So yes, she said the right things. That's what you're supposed to do for your brand. That's what you're supposed to do for the way you're viewed in the sport. But, yes, you hit on something. There's something much deeper there that, to me, is not going to fade. That will always be there. Um, And Serena's going to go down, as you said, the greatest player in women's tennis history. Not to say Maria is a footnote, but ultimately, in the long game, Serena wins. Whatever their individual battles were, Serena wins, and she knows it. And the head-to-head now is Serena 20, I think, and uh, Sharapova 2. And it's something like, what, 15 in a row for Serena. So whatever got her mad, don't do that again, anybody, (laughs) because she's Serena Williams. Yeah, the moral, don't write a book. Yeah, right. Or or if you do, uh, say only nice things about Serena. Uh, Ian, great to hear your voice, man. Uh, Best wishes all season long. We'll be knocking on your door again as the NFL gets underway. Yeah, ditto, DG. Great talking to you, bud. Thanks, man. Always fun. Jordan Rodriguez on the Carolina Panthers in the NFL, live in about 45 minutes. Your phone calls before and after that. College football's regular season truly ramps up starting tomorrow. The Panthers and every other NFL team have some huge decisions to make as rosters must go from the current 90 all the way to 53 Saturday afternoon. I believe the most interesting story near the Panthers' cut line is one of the most disappointing draft picks in team history. More on that story with more of your calls next. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music that's for right. that? That's right. That's Bette Midler. There we go. Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. One thing I promised is the Panthers have to go from 90 to 53 by Saturday afternoon. I believe the most interesting story near the cut line, as people are asking, you know, what do you do with quarterbacks? Well, Cam followed by 
Kyle Allen and Will Greer. You can't put him on the practice squad. You're going to keep three on your 53-man roster this time. Taylor Heineke is going to be the odd man out, barring something bizarre tomorrow night against the Steelers or in the aftermath. Running backs will be interesting. Christian McCaffrey's the main man. Alex Armagh is like the fullback specialist. Who's their number two? I don't know who's going to be kept. Cameron Artis Payne could be leapfrogged by some combination of Jordan Scarlett or Reggie Bonifon or even Elijah Holyfield. I mean, I don't know. McCaffrey and Armagh, and then we'll see, right? The most interesting guy near the cut line, and I think he'll make the roster. But my answer to the question of the day is a defensive tackle that the Panthers used their first-round draft pick on a few years ago, Vernon Butler. Folks, if I gave you a list of the Carolina Panthers' all-time first-round NFL picks, I I go back like a decade or so. Darren Vaught, stand in for my statewide audience on this. Do you think first-rounder in 2005, Thomas Davis? I mean, I don't know if you want to give me like a grade on a 100-point scale, but Thomas Davis is one of the greatest players in the history of the Carolina it's an Panthers. A. It's an A. Okay, you want to go letter grade? Sure. And I'm with you, man. A. If we're saving A-plus for, like, Luke Keekley more recently, <laughs> Thomas Davis was an A. That's your first round, your only first-round pick in 05. 06, D'Angelo Williams goes on to the Pro Bowl. I mean, I know not everybody was happy with everything, but you can't give that lower than a B. He's a B, at, at the least. B-plus? Maybe a B-plus. John Beeson... Ended up moving on to the Giants. He's our guest now as a representative of the ACC Network. That was the 07 first rounder. Right. B, B plus. Absolutely. He spends a decade in the NFL. Many of them good years as your signal caller on defense. 2008 was Jonathan Stewart. (laughs) Uh, B plus, A minus territory. Yeah. There were a couple years they didn't have a first rounder. Okay. So let's put those off to the side. After that, it was Cam Newton in 2011. A. The guy's been in the MVP and took him <laughs> to the Super Bowl. In 12, it was Luke Keekley. The guy might end up as the greatest player in the history of the Carolina Panthers. That's an A+. A+, plus for right? Luke, for sure. Star Latulale is no longer with the Panthers, but he was a very reliable player. He was their first rounder in 13. Yeah, B territory, B+. Yeah. Plus. Kelvin Benjamin, I know that's mixed, but you cannot call him a bust. He was your number one wide receiver for a while. I'm not giving him an A or a B, but you can't call it an F either. No. C, C plus. We'll give Kelvin a C plus. He was p- productive while he was there. Next year, Shaq Thompson. They still like him. Yeah. Right? Christian McCaffrey in 2017. My gosh, that's <laughs> going to be another A. You know what it was in 2016? Vernon Butler out of Louisiana Tech. Does Vernon Butler in any way, and more recently it's been DJ Moore and Brian Burns already looks good as this year's first rounder. Vernon Butler's name is on a list with guys like McCaffrey and Cam Newton and all these others. He'll probably make the cut, but man, is that a massive disappointment. And I'd argue one of the biggest disappointing draft picks in Panthers history. We're back after this. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the bleeping prairie chewing on grass. This is the David Glenn Show. All right, 
We are between great guests. Jordan Rodriguez from Panthers camp in about 35 minutes. More of your calls on college football, the NFL, the big cut day that awaits us, and the big games on the college gridiron. 1-800-849-2761. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours, okay? (laughs) Keep it here on the David Glenn Show.